We live in a world that caters to arrogance and self-congratulation, and your generation faces it more so than mine did because you have social media. You have Facebook that you can congratulate yourself on. You've got Twitter, and you can congratulate yourself there. There's a whole host of platforms where that you can exalt yourself, and you can say, look, look at me, look at me, and I'm afraid that the American apostolic church has come to a place where that what we've done is that we have traded anointing for entertainment and church services are getting to the place where that it is about self-worship more than it is about worship of God. I pray today that that, that my tongue would cleave to the root of my mouth before I ever bought into the fact that anything that I do in leadership, any Anything that I do in preaching, anything that I do that's somewhere that I turn around and I turn that into an idol to myself. My name is Adam Shaw, and this is The Restorationist. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast today. This is The Restorationist, a podcast all about helping you increase capacity and simply become a better leader. But we do it a little bit different around here. This is not your typical leadership or personal growth or business podcast. We are chasing after the kind of capacity that the people had that started the first century church in the book of Acts. And the voice you just heard at the beginning of this episode is Pastor Philip Harrelson. He serves as the senior pastor of the Pentecostals of Dothan in Dothan, Alabama, and he has had an extensive career over the past number of years that he has been in ministry. He currently serves as the senior pastor of the Pentecostals of Dothan in Dothan, Alabama. He is a presbyter for the Alabama District Board. He also teaches young ministers and aspiring leaders as both the district licensed seminar coordinator, purpose institute instructor, as well as global association of theological schools instructor. He has served in a variety of various leadership contexts including being the executive presbyter for the southeastern zone of the United Pentecostal Church International. But we're not here to talk about all of those things today. We're here to talk about his call into preaching the gospel and his process for preparing a message. And this is an exciting It's a very exciting interview for me because out of all of the interviews we have done with preachers thus far, he is the first pure expositional preacher that we have had on the show. And if you don't know anything about expositional preaching, you will very, very soon. And if you do know a little bit about expositional preaching, you are going to still be challenged to dig even deeper into the word than you ever have before. I'm so excited to have him with us today. He's got a great blog called The Barnabas Blog. I'm going to add the link uh, to the show notes as well as a YouTube channel where he reviews books that if you're serious about studying the Bible, you want to make sure you get his thoughts before you make that next Amazon order. So without any further ado, let's jump right into our interview with Pastor Philip Harrelson. Well, Brother Harrelson, thank you so very much for being on the podcast today, it's uh, I'm a huge fan of your blog, as well as your YouTube channel where you review uh, some books. I actually just ordered uh, some books this week based on your recommendations. They arrived yesterday, and I already have started to dig into them. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Well, I very much appreciate the opportunity, and uh, I guess I do have one disclaimer. I hope everybody can understand my deep south southern draw <laughs> but we'll work through that as as best we can but certainly i do appreciate the opportunity to uh, take part in it well one of the things that that i i've been connected with you on social media and and online and we're going to get into your process in uh in a few minutes in a, a few questions kind of down the down the road but but one of the things I wondered as as I've seen your library on instagram and uh i've I've read your blog I've wondered about your story into preaching the gospel so could could you tell us a little bit uh about your journey into becoming an apostolic preacher okay uh I grew up in uh, Dothan uh Alabama it's a town about sixty five to seventy thousand 
And uh, my parents moved here uh, about oh, probably six or eight months after uh, Brother Patterson started a home missions church. So we were here uh, from the beginning. I do pastor the church that I grew up in. Uh, there are some great blessings in that, and there are also some challenges. Uh, of course, I'm now at the age where most of those challenges, I hope, are somewhat behind me. But I got the Holy Ghost when I was seven. Uh, we were in an old house uh, at that point, and then we, we had moved out of one old house into another old house. And then we built um, a church uh, in 1974. 376, dedicated that building in 76. Brother Patterson's hero was Brother James Kilgore. And I remember the dedication service that he preached. Uh, it was not really my intention, I guess, to be a preacher per se. Um, I had uh, wanted to work uh, in the medical field. And so when I was in high school, I uh, took a class called Health Occupations, and we got to go to one of the local hospitals here. In the process of that, uh, some of the people that I came in contact with recommended I was intending on going through uh, a radiology program, uh, but some of the radiology techs told me that they would thought I should look into going into being an RN and then from there going on to anesthesia school. So that was really my intention. Graduated from high school in 84, although I will say when I was 16, I kind of felt some inklings of a call, uh, but again, it was not definitive. And so I started through the process. I went to, to uh, nursing school, graduated from that. At the time, uh, requirements were you to work intensive care for two years and then apply to an anesthesia program. So I started working toward that. There were some additional classes that I was going to have to take. And I went and interviewed with the lady that was in charge uh, of the science department and uh, she sat down I was 20 at the time and she started talking to me and she said told me everything I was going to have to do as far as to go through to go into the anesthesia program and uh, the last question she asked me she said young man are you certain this is what you are supposed to do and at the moment the time I, I it kind of caught me off guard yeah. And I told her, I said, no, ma'am, I'm not certain. And she said, well, you need to do what you're supposed to do. And so that transition, I was kind of very, of course, working in the church, you know, being involved and in teaching Sunday school, uh, you know, just very involved in the church. And then in January of 88, uh, my father-in-law took me to, uh, because of the times, and whenever he took me to Because of the Times, it literally was a life-changing event. And so uh, my wife, Teresa, and I had just purchased a house. Uh, we had not been in it very long at all. And so I saw the need. I thought, well, if I'm you know, going to really acknowledge this call to preach, I feel like I need to go to Bible college. So we put our house up for sale. And our realtor told us, he said, I'm not certain that y'all are going to be able to sell this house. And so, anyways, the Lord opened up doors, and 17 days later, uh, I was on the way to Houston and uh, enrolled that school started. I had to get um, go through orientation at uh, one of the hospitals that I was working at and, and get all that, move to Houston, go through orientation, and then start school. So it was pretty hectic. Um, I'm not sure I could do that again at this age, but I was 22 at the time and you feel like you changed the world. Um, and so started going to Bible college in Houston and, uh, brother Enzi was the, was the, uh, president of the school and he had an excellent team, uh, at the time. Um, uh, and that was brother Enzi, uh, brother Kelsey Griffin, who, Literally, uh, nobody that I had met as far as being able to teach scripture uh, is quite filled the role like Brother uh, Griffin did. Very much impacted my life. And then Brother A.B. Keating, uh, Brother David Hunt, and then Brother Ken Gurley was also at the time. He was not full-time. He was kind of an adjunct 
uh, instructor, and he would come in and out and teach various classes. So I graduated uh, from uh, TVC in 92, came back home. The intentions was to stay here for a period of time and then leave and start a home missions church somewhere uh, in the state of Alabama. But through all the workings, the providence and sovereignty of God, every time I tried to leave, doors would close or nothing would open up. And I will say uh, it was quite a time of, of frustration for me. Uh, I was 26, 27 at the time. Uh, there was a message in 1996 that was preached that because of the times, in fact, you can look it up. I periodically go back and, and watch it. Brother Tenney preached a message called Three Days from Nowhere. And uh, the Lord uh, certainly spoke to me at that time and told me that I was going to be in Dothan at least for four more years. Um, Teresa and I have been married for, uh, we got married in 86. Uh, so working on 35 years, we have three kids. We have a son that's 30, uh, he and his wife, and uh, he's married. And uh, Justin is a lay minister here uh, in the church. I have another son, uh, Nate, and his wife, and they are uh, working here in the church as well. And then I have a daughter, and uh, she is a pediatric nurse, and she's still at home, um, and she has a golden doodle that she tries to keep straight he keeps us going but anyways that's kind of the dynamics of my uh, family situation well, thank you very much i was really gripped by the point you made early on you're sitting down you're getting ready to uh to to take the next step in your education as an rn and that lady asked you the question are you sure this is what you want to do was she um was she an apostolic? Was she a you know a Pentecostal person from church, or was she just someone interviewing you? No, she was uh, she was a person. I believe that the Lord uses people that are uh, they step into our lives. Her and her name was Doctor Boris. Uh, she was a brilliant woman. She was a Jewish lady. Uh, was single. And she was in charge of the science department here at our local college. And, and there, are, uh, she's passed on now. Interesting story. I ended up, when I was still working at the hospital, she came through and uh, she was very ill. I worked in, the, in one of the cath labs before I finally went uh, completely full time. Uh, but I, out in the hallway, I, I told her, I said, Dr. Voris, I said, you talked to me uh, back in 19. Uh, 88, and I said, I just want you to know the Lord used you, uh, and, and it was really an emotional moment for her and for me as well. Yeah. And I went up several times and saw her, you know, throughout the process, and, and she did pass away. She she was, Dr. Voris was somebody that the Lord used to kind of help me, um, you know, this is, are you certain this is what you need to do? And, yeah. uh, you know, now this, the other part, the other bridge I had to cross is this. As once I come back to Dothan, there were a couple of alternatives. This was in 98, uh, the hospital that I had. And I kind of always, you know, desired really to go to the anesthesia school. And uh, they were very much strapped for an for nursing ethicists. And so several of the people in the hospital from administration uh, came and wanted to know if I was interested in uh, going to anesthesia school and that they would pay for it. And... Uh, my son is a nurse anesthetist, and uh, the educational bill is astronomical. And it, I look back at that now, and and but I remember I, I told them I said no, I, I'm just I'm too involved in the church. And then six or eight months later, a group of interventional radiologists that I work with uh, were were going to send me, ask me if I would uh, go to. Uh, PA school, physician assistant, and they were going to send me down to South Alabama, and they were going to pay for that. And I told one of the physicians, an excellent, I mean, he's very good at what he did. And I, and I told him, I said, I said, doctor, I just, I cannot do that. And he said this to me, and I, he didn't say this to me, I don't think in malicious, you know, but, but he said it in a way that it really kind of, you never have forgotten. And this is what he told me. He said, you know, you know what, Philip? He said, you're going to waste your life on that church. 
And and I have never forgotten that. And that was in 1998. So I tell you, 22, 20, working on 23 years ago, he yeah. said that to me. And and I, I will say there are times where that this is the this is the part about ministry. We are in a spiritual battle. Absolutely. And whatever the devil can do to get a come in. Uh, he will do that, and there are moments whenever I get very discouraged and weary um, that he brings that up. It's like, you know, you should have went to anesthesia school. You should have went to, you know, PA school. You'd be much better off financially or, or so forth, and, and that's just a trick of the enemy. Yes, sir. Uh, but but it's certain that, you know, and I believe this, not just for me, but for anybody else, if God calls you, um, and he wants you in, it's just like Paul all throughout the book of Acts. If he wants you in a place, uh, God will get you to where you need to be. There is no doubt in my mind. In, in Acts, whenever he hears that uh, Macedonian call, you know, come over and help us, and uh, he ends up there. And and yet we, we know as well, when we look in Second Corinthians chapter 11, starting about verse 22 through the rest of the chapter, the hardships and the challenges uh, that Paul went through, uh, those things were there, and yet God was still very much using him to accomplish his will and to his purpose. And so if I could just say that, you know, sometimes in our youthful impatience, we try to, you know, tear doors down, you know, jerk them open, and and sometimes there is a, a spiritual maturity that can only take place through suffering and the challenges that ministry brings to us. So, absolutely, um, I I completely I completely agree. You cannot bypass the process of of growing. Exactly. So, just shifting gears a little bit, let, I want to talk to you. You know, now for the next you know next little bit about your process. So we, you know, God's led you through this journey. Um, leading to pastoral ministry and preaching ministry. Uh, now I want to talk kind of about the process that you take to build, you know, deliver, craft uh, a, a message. And so the first question we ask every preacher, every every preacher of the gospel that comes on uh, for these kind of interviews is this. If there was a way that you could define your approach or your style to preaching how would you define or explain it? I would say that at this point now, uh, it is going to be discipline. And, uh, you know, Paul speaks to Timothy uh, about discipline yourself for godliness. And so I, I really, for me at this point, uh, when I first uh, was started preaching, and, of course, I was not preaching as regularly then as I am now. But when I was first started preaching, I was very much keyed into trying to find that nebulous thought, get a thought, and then develop a message around that, that thought. But what I found out is after a certain amount of time that if you take a thought that you – and I have had a – you've heard, I think, one of the – I don't remember who said this, but he said they had a lover's quarrel with the world. Uh, there's times where I have had a lover's quarrel with apostolic preaching because as I got older, I started realizing how much that some of our thought preaching wrests things out of context, and it rips things out of context and makes it say what the preacher wants it to say instead of what Scripture has to say. I've kind of kept this byline for me that if I take something out of context and I preach it in a way uh, that is not in context, then what I have done is I have said what I'm saying is more important than what Scripture has to say. And I would say that at the end of the day, I, I would say that's idolatry because I have taken Scripture and I've moved it out. One of the one of the examples that I would use is years ago I preached a message about jail. And uh, Sisera, and about how that jail, you know, the story she took the tent peg and nailed his head to the ground. And I preached a topical message. You know, she gave him, she covered him up with a blanket, gave him some milk, and then she done him in. And I took that mess or took that story and preached a topical message and preached about how that the milk was the word 
And I went in this deal about tryptophan being in milk and it makes you sleepy and all that kind of stuff. But you can cover, you know, you can use the word, you can use the milk of the word to take care of, of things. And then I used the covering part. She covered him. I said, we've got to cover things uh, with prayer. Uh, I said the nail, the tent peg stake was, was like sacrifice and the hammer was the power of God. Well, what I did was I preached a very creative message. And we had high church, as they say. But at the end of the day, I took that and I wrested that out of its context. And I, I have to admit, I look back at some of my earlier preaching, and it was very much uh, preaching that was out of context. And as I started developing, I read there was a book that I read uh, probably in 1994. This is when I started sort of somewhat moving into the transition of, of just expository preaching. Now, I know when you think about expository preaching, some people say, you know, we, we start at, you know, Matthew 1, and we preach our way through the entire, you know, and, and if you want to do that, you can if you've got time, and there's a church where you have long service, that's a very good way uh, to preach through the Bible. But when I say expository preaching, what I mean is I mean take the text and work through that text and preach its context, what doctrines are there, uh, what, uh, you know, instructions, applications, and that sort of what is in that passage so that I'm not preaching myself I'm not taking an illustration and building a message around an illustration where if you take the illustration away, the message makes no sense. Or uh, if I'm just using my creative ability to be able to say, you know, well, I'm going to preach this. That's not to say that we uh, shouldn't be topical preachers, but I really have gotten away from that. And one of the reasons that I have done that is because of the incredible biblical illiteracy that we're facing in our world today, that very, very few people now that you win, there really aren't, they haven't had very much exposure to the scripture. And, you know, if we have uh, a lack of knowledge, that is going to be disastrous for us. And I also look at Amos 8. Uh, that there is a famine in the land. So whenever I start my approach now, it is disciplined. And I feel like that instead of me going and studying the Bible to look for a sermon, what I do is study the Bible. And then the sermon comes out, you know, on its own. And the book that I read uh, was a book called Rediscovering Expository Preaching. And it was written by John MacArthur and the staff of the Master's Seminary. It's been since republished, and the title of that book now is just simply Preaching. But they walk through the process of that, about how that you look at Scripture. And again, I realize that they're, uh, you know, maybe coming from a non-apostolic, um, you know, standpoint. And I, again, I would say that uh, just because I recommend a book does not mean, obviously, that I endorse everything in that book. But that was the first way it really started moving me in that direction. And then Brother Griffin at TBC, I would sit there in those classes where that he would just walk through books and epistles uh, of the Bible, the Old Testament, the major prophet, minor prophets, you know, Brother Keating walking through the life and times of Christ, that they were just walking through segments of Scripture. And I used to sit there in those classes, and I would think, man, how in the world could we get this into our pulpits? Because I believe that it would be, it would have a stabilizing effect uh, on us. And so it's kind of reading books, rediscovering expository preaching. Another book that I read was called Expository Preaching by Harold Bryson. And uh, I would take books and put them in my backpack and take them with me to work. And after we finished cases, if you were on call, uh, you couldn't leave the hospital until we couldn't leave till like 4.30 or 5 o'clock to make sure we didn't have any more cases coming in. So the last hour, say hour and a half, sometimes I would have the opportunity to read. That's where I read Rediscovering Expository Preaching by uh, MacArthur, uh, Expository Preaching by Harold Bryson. Uh, another book that I read was a book called Planning Your Preaching by Stephen Rummage. And uh, I, I used to somewhat scoff. I used to think, man, that's, you know, that's that's what, you know, the denominal world does. But when you look at what Paul said 
in Acts 20, when he's addressing the Ephesian elders, he tells them, he says, I have declared to you the whole council. That means that he worked his way through, uh, I believe, that the, the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, um, you know, the poetry that he worked through. He spent a lot of time in Ephesus working with them and, and even in other places. And so when you start thinking that that book, Planning Your Preaching by Stephen Rummage, uh, really was a very helpful book. And then I had to take a class uh, that the textbook was uh, Brian Chappell's book called uh, Christ-Centered, Pre- Christ-Centered Preaching. Uh, that was a very good book. So now uh, my process is is to take the scriptures and to work through that so that whenever I come away from preaching that people do not say, you know, wow, what a great preacher, but instead they say, wow, what a great word, or what a, how powerful that the word of God is, and um, I, I do, I'm trying to do a few new things with my blog, but if you go to, it's just philipharrelson.com, and that'll, that'll, there's a, over on the side, there's a link to Dropbox, and you have, can have access to some notes that, that are there. And so I've got about a 70-part series on Acts that I'm working through. Those notes are there. Uh, there are some notes on First John, notes on the tabernacle, the garments of Aaron, a variety of just other. Uh, and some of these, again, are topical sermons from uh, times back. I've also worked and preached through characters. That was something else that I started doing back uh, a few years ago, I try to do that some during the summer months. And again, what I'm working at is that we have people that are biblically illiterate. And if I can get them reading their Bibles, it's going to create stability in their Christian walk. So I've preached some messages through the life of David, uh, preached some messages through the uh, life of Moses, uh, and then I have preached several messages through the uh, book of Joshua. I used the book of Joshua whenever we were kind of transitioning out of our old building into our new building. And I preached about Joshua and then going into the promised land. And uh, so so those are ways as far as my approach. I look at that um that passage of scripture also there's a number of sermons that I preach through the Psalms. Now, what I did with the Psalms, and this can be a challenge, is as I tried to preach through a Psalm. And uh I've got notes, I think Psalm one through uh eighteen and then uh forty one, sixty three, ninety one, various messages in that. And and again, I feel like that, that words are important. So whenever I sit down and look at that scripture and I start looking at the at the word at the verbs there. In fact, if you look at what uh Paul said to Timothy, first Timothy six, uh he said, But thou, O man of God, and then he starts talking about some things. He said, There are some things that you ought to flee from. There are some things that you ought to follow after. There are some things that you ought to fight for. So I look at those verbs there, flee, follow, fight, and and then get into the the word there, flee. Uh, the Greek word there is, is fugay. Uh, we get our word fugitive from it. And when you start digging in behind that word, what he's saying is that you ought to flee from things as if you were fleeing from a serpent, from a rattlesnake or a cobra that you're running away from those things. So what are we supposed to flee from? Well, obviously the context leading up to that, so he was talking about the love of money is the root of all evil, but there are a lot of other things that when you start looking through First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus, I believe that First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus, uh, pastoral epistles, that, that is my job description. And so what is my job description? My job description is found in there. What did Paul say whenever he was talking? He said, you desire the office of a bishop. You desire a good thing. And yet the only skill that Paul mentions in there is he says, you need to be apt to teach. Everything else deals with my character. It deals with my marriage. Uh, it deals with my reaction to life at large. 
Um, and, and so when I look at that, then I start realizing Acts 6, 4, prayer and ministry of the Word is what I have to be involved in and to be able to give uh, myself to that. So so I kind of look at text in a block now and want to know what is the, you know, this is the 2020 rule. Uh, what are the 20 preceding verses and what are the verses, the 20 verses that follows after? That kind of sets the context. And of course, obviously, that's a little, the 2020, obviously there are some verses that's not going to have 20 before or 20 after. But what I'm saying is, is what does it look like for that verse instead of me pulling that thing out and making it say what I want it uh, to say. Uh, I do, um, I enjoy reading books uh, about preaching. And um, over the years, um, you know, I, I think that the, call, the most important thing that I do for this church here is, is preach. And I, I know that perhaps ministry philosophy may not, feel like that you know other people would would disagree with me perhaps about that uh but i believe this i believe that if i will fill the pulpit then god will fill the church because he told peter he said peter he said on this rock i'm going to build my church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it and and i know there's places for leadership there's places for administration but I feel like that if, that if I can be a praying pastor and if I can be a preaching pastor, then there are a lot of things that the Lord can take care of if I give myself to prayer and to to the ministry of the Word. So, uh, again, I'm, uh, I'm, I don't want to say that I'm opposed uh, to topical preaching, but I want my preaching to be Word-driven. And if my, script, if my preaching is going to be Word-driven, and that means I'm going to have to spend time uh, with the scriptures. And uh, again, the atmosphere that I worked in with the physicians, uh, you know, brilliant minds, some of the smartest people, uh, you know, I was honored to work with them. And, and I would see their commitment, particularly the continuing education. And uh, you, you can't walk in half prepared if you're about to put a stent in somebody's coronary artery. Uh, no, you sir. can't be half prepared if you're going to go in and try to fix a an, an aneurysm that is on one of the you know blood vessels in the brain. I used to watch when I was working at at MD Anderson in in at the MD Anderson Cancer Center. I worked there in their SICU when I was going to Bible college, and the University of Texas their medical school was there, and I would go in there and I would watch those guys that were practicing to be neurosurgeons. Of course, at, at MD Anderson, they were generally cutting out tumors, uh, brain tumors and all that. But what they would do was to practice for an aneurysm clipping was they would take a rubber band and they would tie that rubber band in, in a tie a knot and they would clip the rubber band and then tie a knot in that rubber band. And then they would put that rubber band kind of in a little small match box and they would take uh, hemostats and they would reach inside and put clips on where that knot was because that was basically what they were trying to do if they were trying to clip an aneurysm if you get that clip in the wrong place and you cut off the blood flow blood flow to the artery that's going beyond the aneurysm then you're going to stroke the patient and so i worked with people that were very gifted in that that inspired me that if they are going uh to spend that amount of time on their craft and I, I need to spend that amount of time, you know, preparing to preach, uh, preparing my soul, you know, for prayer, uh, various other things. Isaiah says, they that bear, bear the vessels of the Lord, their hands must be clean. I believe not only my hands need to be clean, but I believe my heart, my mind, my spirit uh, needs to be clean. Uh, the, the other thing is this, and I use this of some whenever I'm... Um, uh, teaching at our district licensing seminar as we're sitting right here in the state alabama uh football it's a religion here now i'm not a crimson tide fan i, I like grew up liking auburn uh but they've got our coach uh, the alabama coach they just won another national championship nick saban and i asked myself this question am i gonna let nick saban work more on his game plan than what I'm going to work on my sermon preparation 
and spiritual preparation leading into that week? Am I going to be as mentally prepared for that as what he is? Now, obviously, there's things that crops up in the week. You're going to have funerals, hospital visitations, meetings, various other things. But again, the chief calling of my life is is to preach the gospel. And so that's kind of uh, that was a long answer to that question. But um, no, I, I was at, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is you are an expository preacher. I, that my interactions with you, the things I've seen on Twitter or on your blog have let me know that expository preaching is a passion of yours. And, and I'm, uh, I guess it's kind of an off the beaten path question. We'll circle back to um, your process to developing a sermon in a second. But why is it, do you think that um, more Pentecostal, more apostolic preachers have not embraced an expository. Just from your perspective, you you love it, you're passionate about it, you feel it strengthens the church, it makes disciples, it ministers to, to people in a deep and a profound way. Why is it that um, you feel that more people have not embraced an expository approach as opposed to, you know, the more the more known topical approach. What what do you think that is? I think there's a couple of things, and both of these answers are going are going to sting a little bit. Um, number one, I think it's just a lack of education. Okay. Um, and again, I'm not saying seminary. I'm not saying Bible college. I'm just saying that we've always kind of looked at that, and we thought, well, that's what's that's what you know the other dead churches do. And expository preaching can be deadening. It can be a data dump. You can't afford to do that. That's why that these churches that don't that there's not a mix of spirit in with the word. That's why that that you have somebody giving an academic lecture. So we shy away from that. And I really believe if we could look and see what Paul did, um, you know, I mean, he is working through the Old Testament while he's while he's teaching there at the school of Tyrannus. You know, he's He's debating, disputing. He's working with that, and 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 I think one is a lack of education. And I say lack of education. I don't think that we have bought into the idea that that kind of preaching can build a church. And then this is the other part. I have I discovered that if you're not careful with pastoral ministry, nobody is making me punch a clock. Nobody is looking at me uh, when I was at the hospital. You're there at six thirty in the morning. Most cases, the ORs, cath labs, they're rolling at seven o'clock. And what happens is, as preachers, we can become very undisciplined. And because we're not disciplined, it leads to a sense of of laziness uh, because we don't have control of our schedule. Time, Brother Pew said this years ago. He said, "Time is the coin of life. Don't let a fool spend it for you." Wow. And and if you're not careful, there will be not only fools, but there will be foolish things that will spend your time. And I, I'm I'm about to I'll be 55 here in just a few uh, months, and I've kind of over the years developed a a friendship with Brother Anthony Mangan. Brother Anthony Mangan just turned 71. And I'm sitting here, and I'm looking, and I'm like, I can't believe that one of my heroes is 71 years old. But time passes us by. James says it's a it's a vapor, and it's crucial that wherever you're investing your time, that's what eternity is. So I think that's a couple of the reasons is that we haven't bought into as far as, you know, we, we don't necessarily i don't know that we think that it'll work I, I it's important for us as preachers to be disciplined yes sir uh to to you know make sure that your schedule you're in control of your schedule instead of your schedule being in control of you that and it's easy to go out sometimes and take a two-hour lunch but if you were at the hospital they didn't let us take two-hour lunches Absolutely. You go and you got 30 minutes and you're back in. We got cases to do. We got patients to take care of. So I can't go hang out at, you know, some restaurant and just kind of just, you know, piddle away and waste time. I can't. I, I'm being paid by that hospital to do a job. And if I can look at that same matter and say, okay, Lord, are you going to look at me uh, as a as a workman? 
Um, you know, Paul talked to Timothy, you know, we don't want to be unashamed workmen. Uh, we want to be stewards of the Lord Jesus Christ. Am I going to be a, a good steward or am I going to be a bad steward? This is this has been an awesome conversation thus far, uh, Pastor Harrelson. I want to I want to I want to move to the 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 pre- the preparation of the of the sermon itself. So, um, thank you for that. That's challenging, um, and uh, I I have been challenged by this conversation already. I know so many of our listeners will, but let's let's circle back now to to your process. You have this block of text. You. You've, uh, you've either through the leading of the spirit or through, you know, scheduling, which has been led by the spirit. You have a block of text that you are going to be delivering to the congregation. Uh, how does the message come together? Walk us through the typical next steps uh, once you know what you're going to preach on. Okay. I, I would, what I'm doing right now is I'm working through uh, Romans chapter 8. And again, if the Spirit moves me to move away from that, if there's something that I feel like I need to preach uh, to to our church, then then obviously I'm going to, um, you know, I'm going to, you know, I, I will deviate from that. Uh, however, right now I'm preaching through Romans chapter eight, uh, move of the Spirit. Um, you know, it's a, it's a. I guess it's a passage where that when you start looking at it, uh, that in Romans chapter eight it talks about. I think there's like 26 times that the Spirit or Holy Ghost is mentioned uh, in the book of Romans. But whenever you get to uh, Romans chapter eight, of the 26 times that it's mentioned in Romans, uh, 19 of those come from. Um, 19 of those are in in Romans chapter 8. And so what I do is leading up to the part, uh, now again, I, I this is a trick. I used to feel somewhat guilty about doing this. Uh, I used to think that everything used to be have to be absolutely original. And uh, I heard Brother Schott one year because of the time say this. He said that some guy said that he's going to either be original or nothing. And he said, well, he ended up being nothing. And so <laughs> I, I have worked, don't be afraid to work with outlines. And so I've got Wilmington's, Wilmington's Guide to the Bible was a book that Brother Griffin used a lot when I was at TVC. But Wilmington, Harold Wilmington, he's, he's passed away now, but Harold Wilmington had something called the Outline Bible. I look at, I look at uh, that outline of that passage I buy study Bibles. I don't know if y'all have an Ollie's up in your area. Uh, it's kind of like a, a discount, you know, place. But if you go in there, usually at any given time, they're going to have study Bibles. I buy study Bibles purely for the outlines. And so I'll look at the outline, and a lot of times the outlines are revolved around the verbs. It's just like a while ago, 1 Timothy 6, flee, follow, fight. Those are the things that makes a man of God. And then once I get those words picked out, I, I'll do word studies. Now, the the good thing about technology is I use Logos uh, Bible Pro uh, Logos Bible software, and uh, I've been working on it now for probably fifteen years. So I've got a pretty sizable investment in Logos. It used to be that I would have to use Thayer's lexicon, and I would take it down, dig around in it. I would use Strong's, but now. Uh, Logos has got a lot of tools as far as word studies goes. And so I'll do some word study part and then I will just start immersing myself in the scriptures. I use the treasury of scripture knowledge, also Nave's topical Bible, uh, because what that does is that helps me to cross reference. And so if you let scripture interpret scripture, then that just shores up the strength of, of that message. And so I do you know, work with uh, Treasure Scripture Knowledge, Nave's Topical Bible, do word studies to pull those out. And then instead of working to try to be creative, I just let the scriptures flow and let them work for themselves. Um, you know, just kind of just kind of let it work itself out. I preached here uh, several couple weeks ago, uh, Romans 
the first message in Romans 8 uh, was about the removal of condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And and the outline was was you know we're we're getting it's the message of no condemnation, and I work with that. And then what what are the what are the means of it? Now sometimes I will, you know, prompt our congregation that this is the now we're working toward this, and then there's other times I don't tell them at all. But what is the mean? How am I going to be at a place where I'm not condemned? This in verses two and three. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. What the law couldn't do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the light in the likeness of his own sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. That was the means of me getting to the place where that I don't have condemnation in my life. And then I got into the matter about uh holiness. Uh verse four. Uh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And so I preached about that matter of how crucial it is for us to walk in a place of holiness. And and the writer of Hebrews talks about it like this, fall of peace and holiness with all men, which with all men, without which no man shall see the Lord. Here's the part about holiness that I have to understand. I'm going to have to pursue it. That means I've got to go after it, which tells me that there's got to be something aggressive about the way that I am pursuing holiness. So everything that comes before my eyes, uh, everything that, that, you know, exposure to relationships, are these people healthy for me spiritually? Is this that I'm about to expose myself to on Netflix? Is that going to be healthy for me spiritually? Is this music that I'm listening to, even sometimes as matter as, as food, uh, are, are these things going to be healthy for me in a physical or in a spiritual way? And so there's a part where that when we pursue holiness that we have to realize that if the Spirit is working in me and I'm walking after the Spirit, then it's going to it's going to dynamically transform my my life, which kind of prompts me, again, another way I arrange my library is I arrange it by subjects, and I've got a huge segment on spiritual warfare, got a huge segment on uh, on prayer, but I've also got a huge segment of books that I have just purchased about holiness. If I see a book that is going to prompt me toward holiness, and I remember a book, uh, The Common Made Holy, uh, by Robert uh, Anderson and or by Neil Anderson and Robert Saucy. I bought that book back at Because of the Times. There's an excellent message. Um, let me open this book up here real quick. I'm, I'm you have to forgive me. I'm talking too much, but no, there's a is, message that Brother, Brother Anthony. This is excellent. I love this. A, okay, Brother Mangan preached a message. Uh, 9 1896. It was a communion message. The tape, I don't know if everybody knows what tapes are, but anyway, <laughs> the tape, the, the tape is number 6128. If you call White Steeple, he preached a message called Holiness and Righteousness. And this book was the book that they recommended that year because of the times. But I've got that book, uh, Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard, God's Chosen Fast by Arthur Wallace. Uh, the Fruitful Life by Jerry Bridges, The Discipline of Grace, uh, The Practice of Godliness, The Discipline of Grace, Trusting God. Michael Brown's written an excellent book called Go and Sin No More, uh, The Way of Holiness by Steve Deneff, Principles of Consecration by Charles Finney. That's another book I bought at the Cause of the Times years ago. An excellent book about holiness and repentance is a book written by Richard Owen Roberts, just simply titled him uh, Repentance. Uh, another book, again, R.C. Sproul, uh, people may or may not be a fan of his, but I very much was challenged by his book called The Holiness of God. And so I I, I buy books about holiness because I want to pursue, um, you know, hol holiness in my life. So again, back to the Original thought, work with the outlines. Uh, Brother Keating at TBC introduced me 
uh, to the work of John Phillips. Uh, he taught our acts class and, uh, John Phillips. Now, again, some of it is in the form of an alliteration and people want to kind of mock that a little bit, but, but here's where I have gotten to that. I, I don't want to be, you know, so much a preacher that everybody says, Oh, he's such a great preacher. I want to be a preacher that when these people leave our church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, that they walk away from there and their minds have been stimulated by Scripture. And and again, we've got uh, multimedia. We use screens. You know, I give them the verse references. They flash them up, you know, while we're there. But I still stress in our church, I want you to have a physical copy uh, of your of, of your own Bible. And the reason I say that is this. If you ever get a chance to go on Brother, Brother Anthony Mangan's study uh, there in Alexandria, sitting over in the corner, and I've taken several pictures of it. There's an old typewriter, and there's an old notebook. Uh, Brother G.A. Mangan typed out some of his sermon notes, but sitting next to that, there's a, a little rack uh, that holds an old Schofield Bible. There, there are scriptures that are underlined in that. And that's Brother Mangan's Bible. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Would you rather have Brother G.A. Mangan's iPad or his iPhone, or would you rather have his physical copy of his Bible? Absolutely, I want that Bible. I got you. And so that's me. I've got Bibles whenever I pass on. Uh, my children are going to have Bibles. They're going to they're have, you know, Bibles that have been marked in, prayed over, wept over. Um, it's going to be way more valuable to them than, than, than an iPhone or an iPad. And again, I'm not opposed to uh, you, you know, people using electronic devices, but this is what struck me. And I'm going to get in trouble with this too, okay? I periodically, as Brother... Uh, Tenny said, get out and do a little cross-pollinating. Of course, I hope I don't cross-pollinate too much. However, I do go uh, to conferences that are non-apostolic, and I go to, I've been a few times to a very prominent uh, conference that, that does focus on expository preaching. And I look around in that room, and 3,500 men's in that room. And I'll look at those men, and they've got Bibles open while people are, are preaching. And I've taken pictures of them. I've slipped, you know, hold up my phone or even taken a camera. And I'll look at their Bibles, and their Bibles are marked up. They're underlined. And I go to our conferences. We say we are people of the name, and we are people of power. And I'm looking around, and nobody has Bibles. You may have five or six or ten or twenty Bibles. Everyone that, else is that, everyone yeah. else is on their phone. Everybody else is on their phone. It's appalling to me. I'm I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm with you. I, so here's 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 what happened. We we chatted a bit about this. Uh, uh, we when we were texting before the uh, you know before this interview. Um, my wife my wife got cancer um a few years ago, and uh, uh-huh. the the impact of that was uh pretty devastating uh for us the surgery that that was she was going to have to have in order to stop this cancer it was it was I don't think I've talked about it on the podcast my wife has posted about it maybe on social media once it meant that we were going to be a single child family we have I have a 7 year old little boy uh-huh. and I became right. so gripped with the fact that I had one sorry if I get emotional <clears throat> I'd one boy that I was going to be able to disciple uh-huh. And at that right. moment, I was like, I, I, I started to, to, you know, I, I studied, I, I've got a library full of books, uh, but I was like, I, I want to get a Bible that, you know, I'll carry with me everywhere I go preach, all over the world, in my local church, I'm going to read, I'm going to mark, I'm going to highlight, and mm-hmm. so that. I, I I certainly hope he loves God. He you know we he's reading through the New Testament. Uh, we read uh, right now. We get a children's Bible. We we read through the New Testament every every night, and so it was so cool that he was able to break down um, the the parable of the sower uh, to me and and just you know exposit. <laughs> you know it was really neat to see a little boy in in motorcycle pajamas kind of talk talk about yes. 
what what the parable of the sower really meant. And, and he talked about the shallow soil and how people, you know, they weren't deep. They got excited about Jesus and they got excited about the teaching, but they forgot it when something else came up and captivated their attention. And it, it was a really kind of fun thing. And I thought, I, I hope he lives for God his whole life. But even if the enemy takes him away for a time being, should the Lord tarry and I die, I want him to have in his possession my Bible. And should he follow in my footsteps and, and become a preacher of the gospel, it would be a joy for me to be able to be an, uh, uh, an old man and look up and see my son preaching the word of God from Amen. his dad's Bible. And you're right. I Amen. have an old iPad. Uh, I don't have an Apple Watch. Not against them. I think they'd be cool to have. They're kind of neat. Uh, but I don't mm-hmm. have a lot of new tech that a lot of my friends have. I, I have put my money in in Bibles that will stand the test of time because at the end of the day, if there's anything that's going to keep my son in the truth in this wicked Amen. world, it's going to be the Word of God. So I'm with Amen. you. I'm with you. I, I, I know it's sometimes it's a pain to, uh, I now have a little Allen RL Allen that I carry along with me. And uh, sometimes uh-huh. it is a pain when I go to conferences and it's not fun. Uh, uh, you know, it's easier to carry around your phone. There's so many things, keys, phone, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, I, I want people in my congregation. And when I'm in church, I, I want to have my hands on a Bible. Because it's it's a yes. single app, it's a single use app. It's got one thing, and that's the word of the Lord. Yes. So I'm I'm with you. I agree with you. Amen. We got to be people of the Spirit and the Word. And I'm gonna tell you, if apostolic people can fall more in love with deeply studying the Bible, I want to let you know our yes. our churches will explode with power and with yes. spiritual maturity. Yes. Anyway, Amen. You anyway, you hit oh. a, an area very close to my heart right there. Well, Paul, the other thing, Paul, whenever Paul told Timothy, he said, Timothy, until I come, give attendance to reading. Uh, the New American Standard, I think the ESV, um, they, and, and I, while I was studying through the book of Acts, I, I got into the part about, okay, what did a early church service look like? And this is one of the things that they did. When Paul told Timothy, he said, Timothy, until I come, give attendance to reading. Well, I'd always taken that as just books. But in the New American Standard, I think in the ESV, it says, until I come, you give attendance to the public reading of Scripture. So what we started doing here in our church is our young lay ministers is whenever we take up the offering, uh, we will have everybody to stand. They used to do this in Brother Kilgore's church back whenever I was at TBC and from 89 to 92, and Elder Brother Morris would do this, and he would read one verse, they would read another verse. We do it a little differently. Uh, we have everybody to stand, and we read through portions of Scripture, and we have read through, over the course of about three or four years, we have read through the bulk of the New Testament, and, and I break it up. We will read you know, by paragraphs, and whenever you have a church that stands up and they read out scriptures together in unison uh, again i think it just adds strength to what you know to what we're we're trying to do so well i want to shift gears and, just uh, a, a little bit um if we can this has been an amazing conversation uh and i'm very thankful for your time uh, but i, I want to shift gears a little bit we've, we've talked about your process um and, and the resources you use, the books and Logos and, and putting everything together. Um, I, I want to shift gears just a little bit, and, and I want to give you the opportunity to speak directly to, and you have through this whole conversation, and I, and I hope that those that are, are listening have been as challenged and inspired today as, as I have been. But I was wondering if if you could take a few moments and just speak to the next generation of of young leaders. As we talked about before, the the call began. Eighty uh, percent of of the our Spotify audience. I don't know about the Apple audience, but eighty percent of the Spotify audience is under the age of thirty seven, and a, a vast majority are uh, are under 
you know, are under, you know, 25 years old. And, and so what do you admire when you look at the next generation of apostolic preachers, Brother Harrelson, what do you admire the most about this new up and coming generation of apostolic preachers? Uh, I will say a couple of things. And of course this goes into the, to the, to the tech part. Uh, most of them are very tech savvy. Uh, you have benefits, of being able to work with tools that I never had the ability to work with your, your podcast. You telling me the statistics of that is, it's amazing. There is no way that at that age I could have reached out and touched that many people. So the, the tech savvy part, uh, social media, while it sometimes I think is, it's demonic. There's other times it's very positive. If you can use it, in fact, my blog is, is, you know, it's just, I've had amazing response out of that. So I do admire their ability uh, as far as that. And there's going to be incredible opportunities that if you work at it, uh, that you're going to be able to have an impact on the oncoming generation. I also uh, look and feel like that there was a lot more social connections that you have, albeit uh, I think sometimes the depth of those relationships may not be as deep. Perhaps the friendships may not be as deep as they were in years past. However, there's a widespread social uh, connection that they have, you know, with, you know, their peers and, and friends and, and so forth. So I, I guess if you'd say the two things I admire, uh, that that would they would fall into those two categories. Now, what do you think that we need to work on when when you look at you know this new generation of apostolic ministers that's that's coming up? And uh, I know as part of you know part of your role in district leadership, you are on the Alabama District Board, and uh, you also teach district licensing seminars and teach in Purpose Institute. So you have a lot of interaction with with newly licensed and younger ministers and younger preachers, what do you think we need to work on? What are some red flags that when you look at the next generation that, that we have to address to become all that God wants us to be? I think that a couple that really stands out to me is number one is biblical illiteracy. And it's not just an apostolic problem. It's a, it's nationwide. If you look at the LifeWay uh, survey that they did on uh, Bible reading, and then also Ligonier Ministries uh, did a similar survey about biblical literacy. It's it's very concerning to me uh, that we turn into that we don't we cannot afford to turn into life coaches. Um, I call it attaboy preaching. That every time you come to church, it's got to be an uplifting, inspirational little deal to try to get everybody. Uh, I think it is crucial that we give ourselves to the matter of the word. And then the other challenge, and this is not just a, a youth um, deal or middle-aged or even elder. Uh, this, is, I believe, is a, another very concerning matter for me as a apostolic pastor, and that's this, is our prayerlessness uh, and the uh, altar services that there used to be a lingering consecration that took place in our altars. I think it's crucial for us as pastors to emphasize prayer and even to emphasize if Jesus, his disciples came to him, they did not ask him how to have revival. They didn't ask him how to perform miracles. They didn't ask him how to teach the word. Their number one drive was Lord teach us how to pray. Yes, sir. And I think that biblical literacy and prayerlessness are two huge challenges because the devil knows if he can get us away from Acts 6-4, prayer and ministry of the Word, then our churches just become places that do nothing more than just showcase carnal, fleshly talent, and we've got entertainment, and we've got people that lead us in a very superficial form of worship. And we have preachers that just kind of come along and there's no real power or depth in that. And I believe that prayer and 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 just un, just sitting down with the Bible and just spending time with it is is those are two of the concerns that I, I guess I would have. If I was to say and it if it was just my sons, Justin's thirty one, 
uh, Nate's 27, that I look at them and I say, okay, my concern for you guys is this, is you've got to learn Scripture and you need to learn how to pray. Well, thank you very much. This has been a, a, a great conversation. One of the things that we always do with these interviews, with these these preacher interviews, is we always want to give the guest the last word to give the audience one last parting challenge before we before we close out the episode. And so, Pastor Harrelson, uh, I want you to close us out today. Give us give us the last word that that parting challenge that whatever is on your heart that you feel from the Lord to share with us. I'd like you to share that with us now. Okay, Brother Shaw, thank you for this opportunity. I'm very, I know I've, we've been here for an hour and 15 minutes. However, uh, parting shot, um, Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, there's a man there that's called Valiant for Truth. And whenever he gets ready to cross over and he's looking to get to the celestial city, this is what he says. He said, my weapons my tools I give to those that can attain them. He said, but my scars I take with me to present to my Savior. And so just just know this. There's going to be some suffering. There's going to be some challenges. But know this. You'll pass off your tools, but there will come a day that every scar that you got while you were investing your life in the kingdom of God, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to look at you and he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's the most important words that we'll ever hear in our entire lives.